iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? I can't explain it, except for to say she was, I think she's a sociopathic liar and a narcissist. And for me, I don't give her any leeway. I don't think she was naive. I think she was a liar from day one. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from deep inside the Silicon Valley future machine. Thank you for tuning in. As ever, you will not be disappointed with this week's guest. On the program, we have Dr. Phyllis Gardner, who's a Stanford Medical School professor who was one of the very small band of conspirators who helped expose one of the biggest frauds in the history of Silicon Valley, which is, of course, Theranos. Now, I came across Gardner a couple weeks ago in San Francisco. I was at the premiere of the new HBO documentary on Theranos, and she appears in the film, and then she was also on a panel after, and she gave some really pointed answers about the Theranos scandal, and in particular about Elizabeth Holmes, the founder who somehow convinced investors to give her more than $700 million without showing them a single audited financial statement. And even worse, not even giving definitive proof that her magic blood testing box actually worked. And so Dr. Gardner has a unique perspective here because she was also one of the first people that a young Elizabeth Holmes went to back when she was a first year student at Stanford before she dropped out to do the company. She came to her with her first idea, which was a blood testing patch. And Gardner, who's been at Stanford for decades, she's advised loads of other students on their startups. She's on the Harvard Board of Medical Fellows. She's worked at private companies. She works, she's worked in venture capital. In other words, she has seen it all. And she took one look at this and was just told her, this will not work. This is impossible. Sorry. And of course, Holmes was undeterred. So she went off for a while, was lionized. She was a paper billionaire, etc. She was on business cover magazines, etc. Before the whole edifice came crashing down. And actually, Dr. Gardner played a role in making that happen. So I thought it'd be worth sitting down with Dr. Gardner to talk about the whole sordid Theranos affair. So the other day, I was at Stanford covering an AI conference, obviously, but I ducked out early and I drove across campus where Dr. Gardner lives, up on a hill, beautiful views of, you know, rolling green hills, and we sat down to talk about it. And that is what you are about to hear right now. And I must, and just one production note, it almost didn't happen because her dog, Ruby, this vicious, vicious dog, 
jumped up on the couch and almost ate my recording equipment, but we managed to keep that from happening. So here you have it, uh, without further ado, is Dr. Phyllis Gardner talking about Theranos. Enjoy. in merry old England, <laughs> broiling, <laughs> this Brexit thing. As we were discussing before we started recording, the Theranos documentary premiered last week in San Francisco. You are one of the people who talks in it, actually one of the few people, they talked about how difficult it was to get people to actually speak about that, which I thought was interesting. Mm-hmm. And then after there was a panel discussion, which you also took part in, and I just thought your experience was really interesting. Could you just basically say who you are, what you're doing here, and how you came across Elizabeth Holmes slash Theranos first? I'm a tenured professor at Stanford. I was originally, I attended on cardiology wards, heart transplant patients, and post-transplant, and also cardiac arrhythmia clinic and then I also went to um, I attended on the wards in cardiology and medicine and I ran a lab and do all the things you have to do as a te- uh, to get tenure as a professor so I did all that and then I took a leave of absence in 94 uh, for a sabbatical but I couldn't go anywhere because I had two kids and my husband worked here so I went to Alza Corporation, and I was uh, invited to be the medical strategist for their new Alza Technology Institute. And my boss was the vice president of R&D. Right. And so I really started to like corporate life. I'd never grown up. My father was an academic. I'd grown up in an academic environment. What was Alza, or is Alza? So Alza was started by Alejandro Zaffaroni, so Alza. Right. It was a drug delivery company, and they did several kinds of drug delivery and we're very good at it and Mm. eventually it was acquired by j&j in the 2000s i was there so i went back at the end of my sabbatical because they offered me the senior associate dean for education and student affairs it's a long story but it was the worst job of my life so you're at alza for four years and you come back i came back yeah but i had gotten involved so i was on a board at aranex in texas based on my Alza acquaintances. Then I met Marty Sutter, who asked me to be an adjunct partner at a venture firm. And then I spent the next 15 years being an adjunct and then partner at the venture firm while being at Stanford full time. Right. So seeing loads of companies come through, loads of and medical loads startups. Of and I, I helped start up a company. It was called Genomics Collaborative with some colleagues from Boston. And I spun out a, the first majority-owned Stanford company from Stanford, called Scholar. It was a medical search engine, which was acquired by Walters Kluwer. And the company, Jelomich Collaborative, was acquired. So I had some experience, and then I was sitting on boards, private and public, over the years. So I've seen a lot. Because of that, because I had both the academic experience and the industrial experience, people would seek me out. Yeah. So that's how I came across Elizabeth. And it was John Howard who introduced me. He was a former 
president of Panasonic America or something. And he was here on a, after he was let go, yeah. he was here in this engineering campus retooling and he'd met with me and he called me and said, I have this brilliant young woman. You have to hear her. Now I'm not very good when people say brilliant. There are two Nobel laureates on my hallway. Yeah. It's an overused word, like genius. Yeah. And she's 19 <laughs> years old. Yeah. But I try to be helpful to students, so she came. And it was Elizabeth Holmes. And in this, that days, she did not have a deep voice. Because I've read the book as well. Yeah. And one of the, the kind of many quirks is this idea that at some point she, she changed, changed She took on this kind of strange baritone to be taken more seriously. So I, I have to admit, I have a deep voice. And so I said, well, I guess that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, she had that idea. And the idea, it's in Ars Technica, was that I explained what her original idea was, which was not what she eventually tried to commercialize. And her idea was she'd have a simple patch. And Alza Corporation had developed transdermal patches. So I knew all about them. Right. And she, it was a patch to deliver medicine. It was, right. First, it was going to sample the blood, determine if there was an infection, and then deliver the antibiotics. All just by you just put it on and does all of that magically. Mm -hmm. Right. Got you. And I said, now, that's a nice idea, but it's, that's simply not going to work because antibiotics are not potent. You know, I was nice, but I said, this isn't really going to work. So she didn't let that phase her. She just kept going. Right. And... She came back one more time, and I think John brought her again. And once again, she wasn't listening. And so I said, you know, I don't think I'm going to be much more used to you. I'll refer you to a couple of people. So I referred her to my husband, who was in biotechnology and right. knew a lot. And to my one of my best friends, Karen Drexler, you heard, heard me call her out, who was the f inventor of a glucose sampling thing yeah. and founder and CEO of a company that was a, acquired so successful. So I sent them her to them because I was getting on my last nerve. I mean, I'm not yeah. going to sit here and tell you things. Yeah. But if you don't want to hear, I mean, maybe I'm missing something. So she goes and she forms, uh, she forms her company. She forms a scientific advisory board and she puts those two on it. My husband and Karen. <laughs> oh, they were on the scientific advisory board mm -hmm. of Theranos back in the day. Uh-huh. Right. And granted options. And then she dissolved it. She really didn't want input. She didn't want anyone right. telling her things. So, okay. So the years went by. And I would hear about, peripherally, about students who'd been working there. And here, there's a strange cult-like atmosphere. Yeah. It, that bothered me. And then I just was highly suspicious for a long time because the way she was operating was not the way I was used to. Right. Plus, now to defend Silicon Valley, she was not funded by Silicon Valley investors. She would go to VC firms and wave her arms, and they'd just kick her out. Tim Draper. He's Los Angeles, and he's a former neighbor. And don't forget, she has a certain charm with men. So we should talk about that. <laughs> so there's a, a bunch of stuff that comes up. One, so I had Tim Draper on this podcast probably three months ago. Ooh. And I asked him about her. Mm -hmm. And he basically said he still believes her. Believes I know. And then... I just saw a quote from him, maybe this is from you, that he said, well, I wouldn't support her for a, as a CEO anymore, but as a chief scientist. What are you talking about? So this is what I'm trying to, because like, 
kind of jumping ahead here, but she assembles a board. Of old men, white old men. Henry See a, t- a theme <laughs> emerging? Henry Kissinger. Please. George Shultz, former Secretary of State. William Perry. Was he also a Secretary of State or Secretary uh, of Defense? Uh, no, Navy. Navy. Bill Perry. Navy. Yeah. Oh, and don't forget Mad Dog Mattis. Oh, yes, of course. James Mattis. Yeah, so she has like a, basically a full cabinet as her board, but no scientists. And, and two former senators, Bill Frist. At least he's an MD. And Sam Nunn, who's... You've been here for all these years. You've seen all these companies come and go and go on to great success or flame out spectacularly. How does this happen? How, does, how do I, so many people get drawn into the same spell? To this day, I can't explain it. Except for to say, she was, well, you know what I think of her. I said it. I think she's a sociopathic liar and a narcissist. And for me, I don't give her any leeway. I don't think she was naive. I think she was a liar from day one. With grandiose, grandiose schemes, she just led these men on. And she had a charm. Anyway, here she is at Stanford with these ideas. Yeah, so then she you, she goes to you as one of like the best resources on campus to do something like this. And you say, this isn't going to work. And then she kind of disappears, drops out, and then pops up with Theranos. Right. And I hear various rumors through the yeah. grapevine. But no. And then the next real step was Richard Fuse called me. He's the Fuse family were the ones sued by her. Oh, yes, yes. And About I knew some Richard- pat- patent issue around... I knew Richard Fuse from the Alza days because he invented flash dissolved technology, you know, like those Listerine strips. Yeah, yeah. And he had a patent for that, formed Fuse Technologies, sold it as a very successful company. And he's very interesting, very bright, has many patents to his name. And his son, John, as I understand it, was working for the patent firm where she was filing her patents. Right. And Joe is a lawyer that ended up working with him, Joe and Richard Fuse. And I've been in contact with them for years. Right. And what had he called and said, so what do you think of Elizabeth Holmes? And I... Because he had seen the patent that she had filed for what would become the box? No, or because the, he'd the... been served with papers to sue him for stealing the patent. Right. But I didn't know that. Right. So he calls and I said, well, look, I'm always frank and honest. So yeah. I will tell you that I think it's a bit crazy. I, I don't understand why this is all happening. And he said, oh, so then he proceeded to tell me about this. Well, it turns out he, she lived in his neighborhood and she went to sleepovers at his house. He yeah. sent me pictures of slumber parties. Yeah, they were like family friends growing up. So he was so shocked by this nature of this lawsuit and everything. And he and Joe decided to defend themselves, which against David Boyce, oh, very unwise. But they, in turn, introduced me to Rochelle Gibbons, who, as you know, Ian Gibbons was the chief scientist yeah. who committed suicide because he was supposed to make a deposition, yeah. and he didn't want to lie. Yeah. And he also knew her patents were in jeopardy because she put herself in all the patents, and she had no input, really. He then, well, he committed suicide. So I then met Adam of Pathology Blog, and I forget his last name. I don't know. But he was following all this, and he was as skeptical as we were. Yeah. So we had this little group of skeptical people. And then they introduced me to who has a pseudonym in the book. And he finally had quit. 
because he said it's just it's not working right and they lied on their CLIA certification you can't do that yeah they had misrepresented it and so he called me because he was afraid he'd never get another job mm. and he was scared to death and he told me all of this and he copied emails and he he said you know about like the CLIA certification they shut the Edison machine they locked that door they ran everything on normal machines semen equipment yeah. and others <laughs> and he had gone to her when they launched at Walgreens and he said Elizabeth you can't do this the tests are inaccurate she said oh the board's making me do it with tears in her eyes and I said oh god you fell for it too and he goes I guess I did for a while so then right. the next day they were after him. he gave all his emails to a lawyer and he never would speak again but I knew who it was so I told mm. John Kerry Rue, so he spoke to Kerry Rue under a pseudonym, I guess. Right. I can never say for sure. Yeah. So that, I mean, so I had all that now. I mean, you got the widow. So you were actually in the background kind of. There. There. From when? Because Theranos when I was, was yeah, around no. for, what, no. 12 years or something? It was a long time. Or t- I was in the background for a long time. I don't know. Right. But I was always gnashing my teeth. It irked me. And students would say, can we have her come lecture in your classes? Because I ran a lot of classes on med devices and yeah. pharmacy. And I'd say, not on my watch. No, mm, not her. As and did I, it irk you just because she was just... Because become... I thought she was lying. Right. And fabricating data. I mean, I'd been told. And, I, you know, the sequence of events gets muddled. But So, all right, then Carrie Rue contacted me. The Wall Street Journal reporter who then writes the book and all the articles that uncover the whole scandal. Yeah, then the in book. January of 2015. Yeah. He's an amazing reporter. He'd won two Pulitzer Prizes. Very serious, very ethical. So he came out, and we met a few times, and I took him around campus, and I took him over to the Theranos headquarters. And that's where, that was before they'd moved in. Mm. And there was this fancy car in the parking lot. He goes, oh, that's Sonny Bilwani's car. You know, he has a $400,000 car. Yeah. And he had several of them. So I went, oh. And so anyway... Through the, that year, I was talking. He would call me. He mm. would ask me questions. He asked me to do a few sleuthing things. Yeah. You know. In the summer of 2015, I read somewhere that she was being appointed to the Harvard Board of Fellows. So I called up... Where you are. I'm um, at the Harvard Medical School Board of Fellows. Yeah. And so I called up the development people. I said, boy, that was really foolish on their part. They said, oh, no, it was the Harvard Medical School Board of Fellows. I said, oh, no, you can't do that. You cannot do that. She's under investigation. This is bad. And so they said, oh, I'm sorry. It's already a fait accompli. She's been nominated by Bill Frist. And the dean who met her and Jack Rowe, who was former head of Aetna. So they were the nominating committee. And she was supposedly a billionaire and all this stuff and bill frist was pushing it so i was horrified and i thought i don't know if i can do this well what's so interesting is just like this um the process of deification it is without the kind of substance behind it it is totally interesting to me and if you think i have the explanation for what went except for i said those men's brains went south in their anatomy (laughs) It's got to be more than that, though. I mean, was she is? Uh, I mean, well, she glammed herself up. She, yeah, she had a great story. That's what they said in the documentary, and I will give them credit. It sounded good. I'm changing the world, but you're taking patients' lives. 
you're endangering patients. Yeah. You're lying to regulators. But then she has like a senator and the head of one of the biggest insurance companies in the world and somebody else being like, she needs to be on the board at Harvard. So you remember my quote. Fast forward. It is the day the journal article comes out. It's the day she's introduced to the board of fellows. And I am horrified. Just seated across the table from her. And I have my arms folded. <laughs> and I was just... And the, she's being introduced and lauded. And the two guys beside me, one's uh, Jeff Larink of Larink Schwann, the bank, and the other is uh, Larry Paul, of, who owns the Philadelphia Eagles and is a financier. And they're sitting there, they're looking at me. And then at the end, they go, this is the most fun we've ever had at a board meeting. <laughs> I said, oh, great. And the interesting thing is the women said, oh, I guess that was really embarrassing for you. And I went, no, it wasn't embarrassing for me. <laughs> so that night she was on Mad Money, and then we yeah. had a dinner. And it was a beautiful dinner at two of the members' really beautiful house. And she was sitting there cozied up to the dean. And I said, oh, there she goes with an older white man. And, of course, his wife was sitting across from me, who's a scientist and accomplished in her own right. And I went, oh, I'm sorry, Terry, because <laughs> I called him an older white man. <laughs> she said no, he was horrified this morning when he saw the story. Later, right. I said to him, well, because he came to me, he was upset. And he said, "He said, well, I, I did have dinner with her. And I interviewed her. I said, did you notice she had four bodyguards? He said, yeah, she had four bodyguards packing heat. I went, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Tim Cook walks around here all the time without bodyguards. Bulletproof glass? Are you kidding me? What is your... Okay. After that article came out, I was still in Boston. Roger Parloff called me. And you remember Roger from the documentary? From, yeah, he's the fortune writer, I believe. Yeah. And he was Who, asking me some questions. And he had put her on the cover and said she was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. And, and I forgotten that part when I was talking to him. And, and that was, uh, sorry, what was interesting in that documentary is when he talks about when he found out. He was like, visit, like, no, he, he was very, he to me. yeah, he was really emotional. He was very emotional about it. Yeah. And he, he's like, this woman just lied to me and made oh, me look. Lied completely. Yeah. After he called me and I talked to him, I looked and I went, oh my God, he wrote that article. And I wrote him an email saying, oh, God, you did that puff piece on her. And that's when he was really upset. What is going on? And John Carreyrou, they were torturing him. Mm. That's why I gave a quote, because he had to have a quote to publish that article. Yeah. And then it just started to all come out and mm. fall down. And, and it, for me, and for the Fuses, and for Rochelle, and for John... And for Adam, the pathology blog, and I'm sure for Adam Rosendorf, it was just a vindication. I really felt like I was in the wilderness with this. Like, what is wrong with so this? So that's really interesting, too, because especially as a journalist, every once in a while you come across a story where you're like, this doesn't feel right, but everybody else says it's fine. And it's a very kind of lonely place to be, and you really have to kind of... It's exactly what it is. It's lonely. Yeah. And you really question yourself. Yeah. Did you have I those? Thought, of course. I'm like, yeah. what is your problem? I always have helped students. I certainly have always helped women. Yeah. I would love for a woman to be successful and in that position, but I just didn't believe her. And I thought she was endangering patients. And that's unforgivable to me. Yeah. Plus she was besmirching Stanford and Harvard, which are my two institutions. Yeah. So I just was furious about it. Everybody else is 
all yeah. over the place. Yeah. Then Tyler started this news about Tyler started and Tyler Schultz, who is yeah. the, George the grandson of George George Schultz's grandson, who then and, got a job there and, and became Erica a whistleblower. Jung, they are the heroes. Yeah, they're the, they're I mean, the two. They're, they're both what in their twenties still, probably. They they're were both, both the whistleblowers. Grads. Yeah, she was a true whistleblower. He was the one that told the story to John. Right. I mean, he didn't get protection of whistleblowing. She did because they were suing them. And the reason she wi- she did it because somebody she was in Hong Kong, and she went to a lawyer, and the lawyer said, "Look, you're your host. This is going to cost you a lot of money." Right. And he said, "Well, there's one way to get." protect yourself you could become a bona fide whistleblower under the government program basically mm-hmm. yeah so she did because she had no money she had no one to back her up yeah i mean tyler's family they were being sued and they thought they were going to be gone for all they're worth and this is george's grandson yeah who's His on son, the board who yeah still thinks he she's great he's starting to come around a little right i can't explain it i wish i could I just want her convicted. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So one of the things that I thought was interesting is that, and again, as a journalist, you every once in a while you come across somebody in that mold who when you speak to them even if what they're doing is terrible or wrong or fraudulent it sounds like they believe it yeah but it doesn't sound like you were giving her the benefit of that doubt like she truly believed she was going to change the world and it was kind of the classic fake it until you make it it's we're gonna get there we just got to keep you know the classic silicon valley like yeah but you don't do that in healthcare. yeah that's software and even software, you don't do it at Boeing where you got patients, I mean patients, passengers' lives at stake. It's the same thing. There are times when you can't fake it till you make it. I think being president is another one. <laughs> Did she convince herself? Probably. But I still believe she knew she was lying. Under deposition, when they said, you told George Schultz or, or whoever that this was deployed in attack helicopters or whatever. She yeah. Was, was that true? No. She knew the test wasn't working when she launched it at Walgreens, and yet she was talking like it was. She'd tell people who'd challenge her to say, well, theirs are wrong, their tests are wrong. It was just, she knew she was lying. Yeah. But is she amoral? 
I don't know. Right. I think she is a, a good case for a psychiatrist. <laughs> and in terms of specifically on the point of being a woman entrepreneur, which are few and far between in these parts, do you think that this case, because it's also been so, so high profile and so egregious. Yeah, it's very bad for women. But, you know, the people who've been most upset, well, there have been women uh, since this thing, articles are kind of in the ABC podcast and all that and the yeah. 2020 thing. People have been contacting me from all over. People I don't know. Oh, really? A lot of them are physicians who didn't believe it and f- are furious about it. And they're all saying, thank you for standing. And I mean, please, don't give me so much credit, all right? Give Tyler and Erica credit, yes. Right. I never was that much at risk. I mean, you know, I... Now I'm speaking out a lot, but, and you know, like what I did with John, and give a quote, my husband's saying, don't get sued. But I'm saying, I said to John, you can't get sued for telling the truth, right? He said, no. I said, well, so what do you want me to say? He said, well... Tell me how much she knew about science and, I mean, engineering and medicine. I said she was 19. She had rudimentary knowledge of engineering. Yeah. And no knowledge of medicine. And she's never learned any of them. She can't talk. I mean, she waves her hands about everything. She's not. uh, Therefore, I'm going to tell you, I don't think she's brilliant. I think she's just a good liar. Fabricator. She might be a brilliant liar. Yeah. I mean, she did. We have other examples, you know, in high offices. And he's not brilliant. <laughs> but she did raise, I mean, $900 million. That's, what, that's the thing I keep coming back to is... Yeah, but look but at people, you. But people money gave is. money. I know. With no proof, you know, does this box work? But look who gave money. Larry Ellison because Tim Draper did. Right. Never really did due diligence. Nobody who did due diligence did it. Right. So Larry Ellison, Tim Draper, and then Betsy DeVos. Oh, she knows a lot about it. And uh, the guy that owns the New England Patriots, who was just oh, arrested. Oh, Kraft. Right. Yeah. Kraft. Rupert Murdoch. And give Rupert Murdoch credit. He let that Wall Street Journal, all those articles go out. She lobbied him hard personally. Oh, did she? As well as boys threatening the Wall Street Journal. That was the other thing. My wife is a lawyer. Oh, yeah? When she read the book, she's like, oh, I didn't know David Boys was involved. And he's obviously a legal legend and not somebody you want to cross. Yeah. And obviously he went full bore to try to keep this from getting out. He sure did. I can tell you one story. For He had Carrie Rue followed and to see who, to whom he was speaking and everything. And Carrie Rue was very nervous. He really has the feelings about David Boyce. And one of the things that, that happened was he wanted me to call him if there was something. And I don't know, one night I called his home. He gave me his numbers. Mm-hmm. And his son picked up. And his son said, no, dad's not here. He's, he's in Southern California. He lives in Connecticut or somewhere. I said, oh, okay. You know, let him know I called. And then I was talking to him later. And he, and somehow I came. I said, oh, yeah, I know you're in Southern. He said, how do you know that? I said, well, I called your house and your son told me. He goes, he knows never to say where I am or that I'm away from home. Wow. I did offer to help him. He was going to come here to see if he could find Sonny and Elizabeth traveling, you know. Yeah. So there was a house in Atherton that was Sonny's, so he wanted to go. He's a great journalist, but he just wanted to verify. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'll help you. He goes, no. 
I said, oh, come on. I can put on a wig and sunglasses and I'll just sashay up and down. He goes, I don't think so. They'd recognize you. <laughs> God. I was so, oh, I could go. I could be right. a sleuth. Hmm, the ladies' detective agents. <laughs> and is there, I mean, are there any lessons to be drawn from where you sit of how this blew up and then came crashing down? Or is it just such a... Well, there's certainly a lesson. She wants to start a new company. What? She is planning on starting a new company. She has a 10-year younger fiancé from a wealthy real estate family in Southern California. And she is planning on starting a new company. Has she actually created this company? Well, apparently it's a new Theranos. That's what the rumor is. <laughs> so there's a lesson. <laughs> Don't invest in that. <laughs> uh, and by the way, you fiance boy, be careful. Yeah. Well, and, but just like, you know, you're still at Stanford, you're still seeing students all the time, you know, startups are... Oh, yeah. Is there a pall over Stanford or is there some people like, is there an extra level of caution or like, what do I... I, I suspect there's an extra level of caution, but I, I think... You know, young adults here are driven by entrepreneur, quote, entre it's such a hackney word, I'm about, yeah. you know, but entrepreneurship and starting their own companies. But I think they're learning not to misrepresent. Because well, because that was one of the things that they also cover in the documentary is that fake it, to, fake it till you make it. Like there is a lot of embroidery that goes on when you put your slide deck together and like this is what we're gonna do and this is what we can do now but maybe you can't quite do it yet but you think you'll get there there there's a lot of gray and that seems very accept like kind of like accepted well, i think it's acceptable i suppose if you're doing a gaming yeah app or you're doing apps but it's not acceptable in medicine that's why it's highly regulated and the equipment is highly regulated and she just was skirting all the, well, just going around everything. You don't do that in medical care. Yeah. There were some very bad outcomes. Usually they were corrected. Yeah. But, you know, people for a week thinking they had prostate cancer because their PSA was sky high and they'd had a history of prostate Which cancer. Which has got to be like a form of torture, psychological yeah. torture. A woman with breast cancer who had a very high, I, I can't remember the lab test, but off the charts and for a week was waiting because she had a history of breast cancer and then the doctor said you know actually your results are totally within normal range people with thyroid tests that were way askew tyler made the thing if your test for some infectious diseases is only 65 percent accurate right think about the 35 percent who are positive if they're hcv or hpv they're still out there infecting the world Right. You don't do that. Would you do that? No. no. You don't fake it until you make it with this stuff. Are you in being dragged into the legal case at all? No. Please keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> because the only way I'll get dragged in is when I'm getting sued. So Right. I'm, I better not be. I mean, right now I'm being open. But, you know, it's all come out. Yeah. It's not just me. People have wondered why I wasn't dragged in more, why David Boyce didn't. Mm. And they think maybe because I was at Stanford, because Ian Needis, the John, the pathologist who also questioned it, he was not threatened. And right. they think because they didn't want to go after professors. They didn't want to fight Stanford. Yeah, and they, they, well, they didn't want to draw attention to the negativity, I think. Right. 
So right. who knows? And was there within Stanford, given that it is kind of you know a bit of bit of a petri dish for Silicon Valley? Mm-hmm. Were there any kind of come to Jesus moments after all this came out amongst, I don't know, I, well, the board? Well, you know, I don't think Stanford took responsibility because yeah. she was 19 when she quit. Yeah. There are mixed stories about why she quit. It wasn't just there in us, but I, that's one of the things I was told to investigate and I can't find anything. You can't. Right. They're all sealed records. You know, they just wash their hands of it. I went with Jesse Dieter from HBO because mm-hmm. she wanted to tour the Theranos headquarters. So all those shots were from the oh in the film yeah all the the empty headquarters shots. yeah they were from the facilities guys who were there you know the ones who said Eagle One and Eagle Two have landed right oh what a hubris and I took her to to the office of you know in charge of properties and that's yeah. owned by Stanford and they were going to take over the building and they were no nope can't go in nope I was sort of hiding in the corner because right. I mean I. I was just trying to help Jesse, but yeah. I, you know, I didn't have an opinion. Yeah. I mean, we went by there, but you know, I couldn't get her in. Right. So that's how they are. They are. Poof. They shut those doll doors fast. But you know, she was only nineteen. Yeah, yeah. They didn't train her. She didn't get a degree from here. No. So no. I don't think they really bear that responsibility. I mean, no, I'm not Robertson. On the other hand, but we won't talk about that. Uh, Channing Robertson. Yeah, because he was. You know the brain. Because <laughs> he, what was his position at Stanford before he? Was he... Professor, a well loved professor, I think. And he then he in... quit. He quit to work at the company. Was paid five hundred thousand plus a year. Plus, who else knows what else? He's hiding now. He lives in this neighborhood too. You can't find his contact numbers anywhere. You know, well, you actually didn't have that many great scientific minds on the board, but you did have people who knew what they were doing. Well, you got Tyler who quit. Yeah. The chief pathologist who quit. Yeah. She had a part-time dermatologist after that who knew nothing about running labs. Those that's yeah. a very big art and science running those labs. Yeah. And then you had um Ian Gibbons who killed himself. So and then remember it was very siloed. Right, 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 right. So right. nobody knew what was right. going on with each of the things. Right. <laughs> the one who who knew it was the facilities guy. And he came to me afterward. He was just, he goes, I kept saying, this isn't working. You're not GMP, good manufacturing practice. Right. You're not following the rules. And he said, I'd say it to her. And she would just shrug her shoulders. And he said, I don't know why they never went after me. And his colleague was there. Yeah. And I don't know why, but I knew. Yeah. He said, but he did, he did allude to the fact he had a daughter who needed heart surgery. And, he couldn't get off for it or something. And she talks about how he got her tested, but Stanford refused he, because it had been difficult to draw her blood. So he said, Elizabeth, can you test my daughter? And she said, sure. And she gave him the results, but Stanford refused to take them because they didn't believe in them. It wasn't a certified lab. So she had her surgery. She was fine. He said, but, you know, I look back on all those years because we worked so hard, and they covered both facilities here and there. Yeah. He said it was so much work and I should have been home more. His daughter's okay now. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Saying yeah. helped him, my wife and all that. But you know, there was this somehow this culture. And you yeah. saw the documentary. Eagle One and Eagle Two have landed and she sails in, yeah. gets her bottle of water, Voss water. 
<laughs> I know. The receptionist came to me too. She said, oh, that is such a wacky place. You know how they read all her emails. The receptionist's emails. Mm-hmm. And so when you have students come up to you now, is it a topic of conversation? I don't think the current... It's a top... It's kind of water. It's past. Well, I think they probably are talking about it. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. But I, I had students at the time, and they knew I was... A lot of them have said something to me. Yeah. I, two of them, I asked them to speak to Carrie and they were afraid. And they weren't even working there or anything. Well, that was the other They're thing. They're both I, getting MD PhDs. The other thing that I thought was interesting, and then I'll get out of your house, I swear. But <laughs> okay. hearing the panel after the the film and Jesse, the Peter. the producer, I think she well, was. Uh, so, no, it, Alex Gibney is the director and yeah. she's the associate director. Associate director. And she was saying how so few women would talk to her because it would yeah. set the cause back. Yeah. When she said that, I thought, and I think I said, I don't care what your sex is. If you're lying and cheating, I'm not going to go for that. I don't, if you're a woman or not. So, but I, I tend to be judgmental. (laughs) But yeah, I just, it just, it did seem to highlight to me. I don't know if you saw the fire festival documentary on Netflix. It's about this festival that this guy this fraudster promoted in new york it was going to be in the caribbean and full of supermodels and he did it all basically via social media and it was a total sham and now he's going to go to jail mm-hmm. but he raised millions and millions of dollars and all these people bought in it's there's a lot of similarities but it also highlights a lot of the just the very powerful social forces that you can't quite put your finger on mm-hmm. they get everybody moving in the same direction mm-hmm. yeah i mean you can see charismatic apparently mm. glammed up surely a lot more than when she came to me the first time and then with those men on the board and you know with tim draper and larry ellison people just stop stop you stop and asking none the hard of these questions people were venture capitalists that i keep want to say say you know people in venture capital do due diligence they would have made her show how that box worked they would have tested it with other things so they know but none of them none of the traditional venture capitalists of Silicon Valley invested in her. Yeah. It was all this word of mouth, rich people. So yeah, she just got into that circle and was very good at milking mm-hmm. it. What's the name of the guy that owns the Patriots? I mean, uh, Robert Kraft. Yeah, Kraft. No, he knows a lot about medicine. Not. <laughs> <laughs> but he must have, you know. Yeah. Betsy DeVos, are you kidding me? Yeah, it's incredible. Couldn't happen to better people. (laughs) And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Dr. Gardner for inviting me into her home and going through the whole story. I think it's just, I still don't quite understand how Holmes pulled it all off. And obviously she doesn't either. And I don't think anybody does. I watched a documentary and it's also not quite clear how... uh, how she did it, how she convinced her so many people to give her so much money. But anyhow, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, stop right now. Give a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really, really does help. I'll also be writing up a version of the interview in this weekend's paper, so do check that out. And you can also find me on Twitter at Danny Fortson. You can email me, danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. And I will talk to you next week. Bye-bye.
you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.